In Mark chapter 11, Jesus finally comes to Jerusalem. This is a moment that's been building since Jesus was first confessed as Christ in chapter 8. And now, after a long road traveled, Jesus is coming face to face with the very people who are going to be crucifying him. Jesus doesn't actually stay in Jerusalem, but makes his home at the Mount of Olives. And this is most likely due to a few different prophetic texts we read, such as Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel, he sees the presence of God leaving the temple, and then the city of Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 23 that the glory of the Lord rose up from within the city and stopped on the mountain east of the city. That mountain east of the city is the Mount of Olives. And according to Zechariah 14, it's going to be the site of God's judgment against his people. And even the way Jesus enters the city while riding on a donkey is loaded with significance. That's the Messiah's ride. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as he comes in, the people are shouting Hosanna, literally translated as, I pray, save us. But this same crowd that praises Jesus is soon going to be shouting for him to be crucified. Mark's been warning us throughout the gospel to not mistake enthusiasm and popularity for success. Real disciples aren't just excited, they're committed. And so after Jesus examines the city and the temple, he goes out again. And on his return the next morning, he sees a fig tree. And this is the beginning of another sandwich story where we have one story starting, but then interrupted by a second story, and then going back to that first story and connecting all of it together. We have Jesus seeing a fig tree and cursing it. Then we see him judging the temple. And then we come back to that fig tree where he explains the significance of it. And so the fig tree is an enacted parable, we would call it. It shows us what the temple is and what's going to happen to it. We read in verses 12 through 14 that the next day when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it. So it's not the season for figs, but when the figs are full of leaves, it still has edible, even if unripe fruits. It wasn't the season for figs, but it was early enough for unripe figs. And the curse that Jesus pronounces on the fig tree calls to mind Jeremiah's curse on Judah in his day. Jeremiah chapter 8, 13, this is the declaration of the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and even the leaf will wither. Whatever I have given them will be lost to them. After this, Jesus goes into the temple complex and begins to cast out the people buying and selling the sacrificial animals. He overturns the tables full of money and says in verse 17, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. The temple courts, they were overseen by the Sadducees. The trade that went on in the court of the Gentiles, it was necessary for the temple to operate, and it was also how the Sadducees made their money. Jesus puts a monkey wrench into the whole operation. By overturning these tables and driving out those who sold animals, He's stopping the sacrifices from being made. To put this dramatic action into perspective, Josephus, the Jewish historian who lived shortly after Jesus, he says that in the year 66 AD, there were 255,000 lambs sacrificed for Passover. But Jesus, he's not having any of that today. Specifically, Jesus is clearing out what's known as the court of Gentiles. 
The temple, they had degrees of holiness, which only certain people could be allowed to get so near. On the very outside of the complex, furthest from God's presence, that was the court of the Gentiles, which is also where all those who were selling animals had set up shop. And so it was assumed by Jews that the Messiah would purge the temple of Gentiles and foreigners. But when Jesus cleanses the temple, he's making room for the Gentiles. Jesus condemns those who run the temple by comparing them to a den of thieves. It's a quotation from Jeremiah chapter 7. In that chapter, everyone who worships in the temple assumes that their sacrifices keep them safe from the wrath of God and that they're free to continue sinning on freely. Instead, Jesus says that the temple was to be a house of prayer, a term pulled from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. There God promises that anyone who follows him whether they be a eunuch or a foreigner, such as a Gentile, they'll still be brought into God's house. So Jesus is leveling a two-pronged accusation against the temple. The sacrifices offered, they were only a cover for the wicked hearts that hoped to sin freely. And as long as they brought the right offering, they could get away with anything. But also, he's saying that those who are running the temple are working against God's purpose of blessing all nations. They didn't want to see Gentiles like the Romans saved, They wanted them dead. Now the story is completed when the disciples see the fig tree the next day that Jesus had cursed. And it's withered, dead, and good for nothing but to be burned. Just like the temple. This episode is commonly called the cleansing of the temple. But Jesus doesn't really restore the temple to its proper place. Instead, he condemns it to destruction. And that's exactly what's going to happen at the hands of Rome in the year 70 A.D. But in its place, Jesus offers himself. He's the temple of God, the place where man and God can be together. And he's the sacrifice that purges us from our sin, because Jesus alone gives access to God.